You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. And I'm going to talk about three ways in which we build endurance and we maintain uh, our witness, our testimony about God's goodness. But before we do that, I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. It, God gives us some instructions. We had a great men's prayer yesterday. Um, we have men's prayer every other Saturday, so we had it yesterday. We'll have it in two, uh, in two Saturdays from now. Um, not next Saturday, but the one after. And I encourage you as a man, come. Come and pray for your family. We pray for an hour and read our Bible just independently, and then we, I'll teach something and we'll talk. And we had a great discussion Uh, And we sharpened each other yesterday. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And so we sharpened each other uh, yesterday. And we had a great talk about that some people are walking in a lot of confusion about what to do with this current world, the way things are going and the way things are happening. And God gives us very specific instruction on what to do. And in in Proverbs 4, verse 7 and 9, he says this, wisdom is the most valuable commodity, so buy it. Another translation of that verse says wisdom is the principal thing. It's the principal thing. It's principle. It's the, it's the principal thing that God builds everything on is his wisdom. I always say this, that wisdom and faith are, are friends. They're best friends. They're not enemies. And God expects us, if we'll use wisdom about, we'll avoid about 90% of life's problems. Not all of life's problems, but you can avoid about 90% of life's problems just by operating on God's wisdom. And then that other 10%, you use your faith to overcome. The issues, the problems, the trouble that comes, that's when you use your faith. But a lot of people want to use, violate wisdom and use their faith to overcome. You're never going to overcome God's wisdom by trying to try to get God to move supernaturally for something that he's giving you supernaturally to act on in the natural. Let me explain that better to you. Listen, if you don't use God's wisdom, you can't substitute faith and say, God, I'm gonna violate your wisdom, but I'm gonna believe that you'll overcome my my violating your wisdom. He won't do that. So we need to understand that wisdom is the principle. We build our life on the wisdom of God. And then he says this. Um, He says, uh, Stick with wisdom, and she will stick to you, protecting you throughout your days. She will rescue all those who passionately listen to her voice. Wisdom is the most valuable commodity, so buy it. Revelation knowledge is what you need, so invest in it. He's he's saying, listen, go get wisdom, and he refers to wisdom as a she. Why does he refer to wisdom as a she and everything else as in the masculine? It's because God made man first, then he made a woman, female, whoa man. I call her whoa man because my wife's a whoa man. She whoa. She cool. And so, um, so he made woman and he said, I'm going to prepare a helpmate, someone that will help you, someone that will assist you, someone that will give you good counsel. And he, that's why he refers to wisdom as a woman because he's saying my wisdom is your helpmate it's your help my wisdom is your helper it will give you good counsel she will he says she will give you good counsel wisdom and so he says partner with wisdom the way you would partner with a wife or uh, if you're a female partner like a sister 
But, but it's, it's, it's the God's wisdom, so it's, it's the most valuable product on the, in the universe is his wisdom. He said it's more precious than gold. It's more precious than wealth or riches. It's more precious than titles. He said seek it, invest in it. Then he said get knowledge. What is knowledge? It's a lot of people, they'll say things like, you'll say, hey, man, you know, you really ought to do this. And they'll say, I know. They'll say, I know. And you know when they say that, they're saying, I know that's right, but I'm not going to do that. So not, to, to, to not just get the knowledge of what to do, but to do it is the, is the wisdom. You get the wisdom, the information, but the knowledge of it is that it becomes personal to you and you learn to act on it. You don't just say, I know. I know that's right, but I'm not going to do it. No, you say, that is right. That's wisdom. And I'm going to, I'm going to it's going to become more than just something I know. It's going to become something I do, a part of me, how I live my life. He said, look for both. First, you have to find the information. Then you have to, then you have to let that information transform you where you're acting on it on a day-to-day, regular basis. And what I love about God's wisdom, it's so practical. If you start reading Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, I'm telling you, you start reading through Proverbs, his wisdom is so practical and applies to every aspect of our life. He said, live by wisdom and get wisdom. Listen, how we overcome this, this, this craziness that's going on around us, uh, people were talking in men's prayer saying that they're around so many people that call themselves Christians that they're so confused. And others that aren't Christians, they're extremely confused. My vote doesn't count. I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to do. I can Google. Guys, I Google stuff, and the information Google gives me, I know is, in, is one-sided or incorrect. So it's like they, they feel like, who can I trust? What do I turn to for truth? What is true? Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, when Jesus talked about truth, he said, what is truth? What's true? He was, he's like, what? You're talking about truth. There's, who knows what truth is? And that's how the world is today. But that's not how we should be. We have the truth. We have the way, the truth, and the life. His name is Jesus. He is the word of God made manifest. We have everything we need right here. We can navigate the waters of 1812, 1912, 2012, 3012. It doesn't matter. 1012, it doesn't matter what age, what group, when you were born, when you lived. This word of God and his wisdom and how to walk through things is all true to every age, forever and ever it's true. We don't have to be confused. We don't need to be looking, scrambling like, what do I believe here? What do I believe there? We believe the word of God. It gives us wisdom, it gives us guidance, it gives us direction. It ends all confusion. What am I gonna do? I taught a whole lesson on what God teaches us to do. He said, do the next right thing. What do you do? Do the next right thing. What's the next right thing after going to church? I'm gonna eat dinner with my family and then I'm gonna take a siesta. If that's the next, if you need a nap, your body needs a little sleep, then get one. Do the next right thing. What am I going to do Monday? I'm going to get up and go to work with a good attitude. I'm going to work as unto God, and I'm going to have a good attitude about it, and I'm going to enjoy earning a paycheck for my family, and I'm going to listen to God's voice as I navigate the waters of my job, and I'm going I'm to go forward in life. We don't have to walk in the confusion of the world. And I'm not speaking just to the people here, but the people online. Thank you for joining us. Uh, that's all of us as Christians. We don't have to walk in this confusion. We don't, uh, guys, I'm concerned and I pray for people uh, that the gas prices are up or the, or the food prices are up. 
I, Julie and I picked a great time to cut back. We, we cut way back on eating beef and pork. We're like, God's so smart. We did that way before the prices went up. And so, but, but guys, listen, but I'm not concerned. I'm not worried about it. If gas went to 10 bucks a gallon, God wouldn't just give me 10 bucks. He'll give me 20 bucks. God's got, he'll provide for us. We don't have to be worried and fearful. We need to use wisdom. You might need to navigate your budget a little bit differently and say, you know, uh, uh, the motorcycle ministry is looking for other people that want to buy a Harley and, you know, save gas. You can sell that to your wife. So I salute you. Or to your husband. I'll salute you. But guys, listen, um, we, we don't have to be afraid. We don't need to be fearful. We need to operate in wisdom. We need to be good stewards of our finances. And then after we've done all we know to do, we trust God to provide. He's our provision. If it's 10 bucks, then he'll give us 20, just like I said. Whatever we need and more. He said, your cup runneth over. And those who believe it and stand on it will walk through it. We'll, go, we'll overcome this. Our church hasn't stopped giving. We're doing that, uh, you know, they, they, some people came to me and said, Pastor Troy, we can get those steaks cheaper. They're smaller and they're not as good a cut. And we can sit, feed the, the firemen and, the, and the, uh, our first responders, our police officers and everybody. We can speed them, feed them a, a cut of steak. It's still a ribeye, still really good, but it's not like what we get. Because we special order all those steaks for our veterans and for those first responders from Sam's. We special order the cut. We tell them exactly how to cut it, what to do with it. And Ralph and our team, they cook those. They're the best steaks. My gosh, they're incredible. Making me hungry for beef right now. Right? Not supposed to be. I need chicken. And so, but anyway, they said, we can cut back. And I said, we're not cutting back. We're not, cut, we're ordering those same steaks. They're worth it. Our first responders are worth it. They said, there'll be five bucks more a pound. I said, well, God will give us 10 bucks more a pound. We're going to, we're going to do what we do. Listen, church family, I trust God to be our provider. I've trusted him since I was 19 years old to provide for me since I started tithing and honoring him. I've trusted him. My wife's trusted him since she was five. When her daddy died, her mama lived by faith every day after that, raising five daughters by herself with, with, her, with losing every, all her income when he passed away. And they've lived by faith. And God's provided, hadn't he, Julie? They never went without a roof over their head or food on their table. And not only that, but God blessed them and encouraged them and took care of them. God will do the same for us. He is faithful. We just sang that song. He is faithful. And we need to count him as faithful. In Proverbs 3, he says this. He says this in verse 5. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you. And he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him. And whatever you do, he will lead you wherever you go. Man, we need to trust in God. What do we do as Christians? Trust in God. What do we encourage others to do? Man, other Christians that are confused and worried and fearful. When you say, hold on, time out. You're a Christian. You're a child of the most high God. Don't be worried. Don't be confused. Trust God. Do what we're called to do. Trust God. And never stop trusting him. Keep trusting him. 
Keep trusting him. We are, our identity, you know, they have all this stuff. Man, I identify as this, I identify as that. Let me tell you our identity as Christians. We identify, identify as the blood-bought children of the Most High God. We're the sons and the daughters of the kingdom of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We're ambassadors. We're ambassadors of Christ on earth. We, we, are, we, are, uh, we, we, we live for heaven because of heaven. We follow Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He's our King. He's our ruler, and he loves us. That's our identity. I wish that some people in business, I wish I was still in business sometimes, because when they all got online and started telling their identities, I'd say, yeah, listen, I identify as a Christian. Matter of fact, that's what you can call me. From now on, uh, my pronouns or whatever they say is the blood-bought child of the Most High God. Just call me that. Just call me that from now on. You mean you gotta, you're gonna make them say you're a blood bought child of the Most High God? I would absolutely, if they try to get me to say they're a this or that or another thing, I'm gonna say, well, I'm gonna give you my identity. The reason they, that this topic of identity is so huge right now, because Satan knows if you identify as anything else other than a Christian, a follower of Christ, that because your identity's skewed, your purpose will be way off. When he could change your identity. We know of Satan. What was the first temptation he did to Jesus? Satan himself tempted Jesus Christ our Lord. And what was the first thing he tempted him with? Who are you? His identity. Satan knows if, you, if he can get anybody to, not, to identify as anything other than God's creation and God's child, anything else other than that, that all of a sudden now everything will be crooked. Everything will be twisted, and their life will be twisted. And he'll just twist and tear up their life because their identity is skewed. Their, their purpose, they will not live out their purpose because they don't know who they are. You got to know who you are. Listen, when I pick up a hammer and a screwdriver, I know they're for different reasons. If I tell you to go get me a hammer and you bring me back a screwdriver, I'll be like, that's not going to work. Why? Because I, you, know, you can't tell me, well, this screwdriver is now identifying as a hammer. No, that's, it can call itself whatever it wants to. It's still the screwdriver. Go bring, me the, the, go bring me the one that is a hammer. Bring that to me. I'll use that. Listen, if you, that, that's how messed up that is. If Satan can get your identity off, your purpose, you can use a screwdriver to hammer. I've tried it. It doesn't work real good, does it? But that's how messed up it becomes. Listen, we need to teach our children and we need to identify as the blood-bought children of the Most High God, the daughters and sons of, of God himself. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. Not my Father, our Father. We need to identify as the body of Christ and as Christians and followers of Jesus. And when we do that, we'll be a light to the world. I said we'll be a light to the world, a light in this darkness. And instead of walking in confusion, worry, and fear, we'll walk in love and truth. We'll walk in the goodness of God and live out the promises of God. Someone say amen. amen. With the joy of God and the strength of God in us. And guys, if you listen, Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit and his word that are always in agreement. This is how we live our life. This is how we've always lived our life. Jesus warned us. He told us in his word. He said, they're going to call what is right wrong and what is wrong is right. 
He said they're going to call what is bitter is sweet and what is sweet is bitter. And so now they're saying that God is wrong and the church is wrong and Christians are wrong and God's word's wrong and they're right. He told us this day would come. We are in it. And we're not the first generations to ever face it. But we're the first generation to face it on this massive scale worldwide. We are the first generation to experience that. And it's got the loudest voice it's ever had in the history of humankind. But that doesn't mean that we're losing. We will win if we stick with God. If he is for us, who could be against us? What they meant for evil, he'll turn around for good. He'll turn it around for our good if we stick with God. We just stick with God. Keep doing the next right thing. Keep getting up. Read the word. Seek wisdom and apply it to your life. Trust God with all your heart and watch what he does. Do you know after he said this, before and after he said about trusting him with our heart, he lists 22 blessings just in this one chapter. 22 blessings that come from trusting God. I'll just give you a couple of them. In verse 2, he said he promised you a long life. In verse 4, those two verses above it, or a verse above uh, the first one we read, he said he'll give you favor. In verse 6, he said he'll give you direction. In verse 7, he said he'll give you plenty. He said he'll provide for you when it's drought. When everybody else is in drought, you'll still be harvesting a crop. What does that mean, Pastor Troy? It doesn't mean, no matter what the economy's doing, you'll still be blessed. He said, I'll give you plenty in verse 7. Uh, in verse 12, he said, he'll give you loving correction. You know, we, we live in a nation with a lot of people that are heaping up pastors that'll itch their ears. Man, we have so many pastors right now, famous ones. They'll itch your ears. They'll tell you everything's going, every, you're okay. Everything's going to be okay. They'll never mention the word sin. They'll never mention the word correction. They'll never mention any of that. They, they, they won't mention any of it. The Bible warned us they will heap up teachers because they want their ears itched. They want to hear what they, don't, what they want to hear. Some have left our church over the homosexual issue. They've gone to a couple other churches because they know they'll never say a word about it. They'll never stand up for nothing. They stand for nothing, and they do it under the guise of, well, we're just going to, you know, I just want to make people feel good. And Guys, listen. It feels good to me to be lovingly corrected by my God. I want to be. I, I don't, I don't uh, just pray, God, you know, beat me into submission. I don't, I'm, that's not that. But when he lovingly corrects me, I know it's for my good. I know he's helping me, not hurting me. He loves us. And he says, I correct my children. And that's why some pastors will never speak on these topics. Matter of fact, 60% 60 of all pastors in America will not speak on them. We're not alone because there's still a lot of us left, but there's a lot less. And people are seeking these pastors that'll just make them feel good where there's no conviction in the church to overcome sin. Listen, where there's no conviction to overcome sin, there is no Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's number one job is to convict of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He, to convict of sin, how to get righteous and how to, how to avoid judgment or get judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's top three jobs. And the number one is to convict of sin. If, there's, if you're never convicted, uh, then, then you're not in a church where the Holy Spirit is moving. We all should be convicted. I had one person tell me, every time I come, Pastor, two things happen. Conviction and, and confirmation. 
I get confirmed that I'm doing what's right, and I get convicted for what I'm doing wrong. That should happen every time. Church, we need to be the church that stands up. If we're not different than the world, then why would the world want to come here? We have to be different. The difference is we really want to love God and love each other and do what's right and overcome sin. And we don't run from dealing with the sin issues. We don't run from it. We deal with it in love and truth, but we deal with it. We don't try to avoid it. We don't run around it. I said on a podcast, The All-American View, with Pastor Sean, he and I do this podcast once a week, and I talked about this. I said, if I would have stood up and said, hey, there's a man and a woman running for judge, and online they said this. They said, I'm married, but I'm cheating on my wife or my husband with multiple other people, and I enjoy it. I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's, I'm a Christian, and I still do this. And I pointed out that they were in adultery, that they confessed to it, they're, and they're proud of it online. I wouldn't have got one hate message from anybody. They'd have said, that's right. That, I'm not voting for that person. Or if someone was just a single person and said, hey, I'm sleeping around with everybody. I think it's right. I'm still a Christian, but I'm sleeping around and I'm doing, I'm just having sex with anybody and everybody, men, women, everybody. And I, I enjoy it. I'm having sex with uh, people that are married and not married. I, and this is what I do. And I'm proud of it. Matter of fact, I march for the right to do that. And I think it's a good thing. If I pointed out they were in fornication, I'm telling you, many, no one, I would have got no hate mail. No one would have left the church. They said, I'm not voting for that person, but you point out the homosexual issue and they go crazy why because they don't want to believe that one's the sin if i'd have said that about any of those other issues people said i get it i'm not voting for them they're online saying they they rejoice in it they think it's great i hope none of us would say let's vote for them for any office got awful quiet in this presbyterian church i pastored I say that about the Presbyterians because the majority of them, all but one church in all of New Mexico, caved to this movement and voted to license and ordain anybody from any sexual orientation in their pulpit. One church stood, and that's the Presbyterian church down in Dexter. All the rest of them caved in New Mexico. Yeah, salute them. I salute them. And so what do we do? We do what God tells us to do. We stand in faith, we wait on God, we run our race, and we do the right things. We live for God and we live in joy. Someone say joy. joy. We're going to have a joy about our life. We're not caving in to all this. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 and 39. We're going to talk about the three things I mentioned last week. Uh, I said well, I'm going to teach three things on how to build and maintain endurance and so this is how you do it spiritually and emotionally, not physically, but spiritually and emotionally. But in, but in uh, Hebrews 10, 35 through 39, God says something to us that we need to, we need to listen to. He says this, starting in verse uh, 35, he says, uh, wow, let me get to it. Let me find 35 in here. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. He says, golly, man, where's that at? Prince too, there it is. He said, faith-filled women, nah, I'm, in, I'm in 11, dead gummit, I knew I was in the wrong spot. It's 1035. 
10.35. Okay, here's what he says. I'm finally there. He says, so don't lose your bold, courageous faith for you are destined for a great reward. He says, don't lose your faith. Be bold. Another translation of that verse says, don't, don't stop confessing. Don't leave your, lose your bold confession of your faith about who you are in Christ and what Jesus has done for you. Hang on to your bold. He said we should have a bold confession. In the 60s, we talked about this with Bruce and the men this, this Saturday. In the 60s, the church, their reaction to the 60s movement was to pull back and close the doors and huddle up and not do anything about it. And as a result of that, now we have churches that don't just retreat, but they've caved to the culture. God said, keep a bold confession of your faith. We need to stop bowing down at work. If they're going to talk about the party they have on Friday night, you can talk about the service you had on Sunday morning. Stop. We need to start being bolder. I did when I was in the workplace. Man, they want to talk about their party. I'd listen and I'd say, man, you know what I did this week? And they said, what, Smotherman? They already knew. I mean, I went to church. It was so good. Here's what, here's what the pastor said. And I didn't wake up with a hangover and I wasn't drunk and I didn't do anything stupid. And we have these conversations every Monday morning. But I wasn't going to let them talk about all that nonsense. And I wasn't going to talk about my Jesus and what he saved me from. Wasn't going to happen. I had a bold confession. I had a bold confession. I didn't beat him over the head with the Bible, but also didn't back down. He said bold confession. We need to have a bold confession. Then he says this. Uh, you need to, the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will. And then you receive the promise in full. Then you receive the promise in full. We need to keep that bold confession because that's how you get the reward of God is that we hang on to the courage and the boldness to stand for Jesus no matter what anybody else is doing. And he said we need the strength of endurance. Through faith and endurance, patience, we inherit all the promises of God. So we're talking about heaven coming to earth. God said, listen, he said, for heaven to come to earth, my will must be done. And it's his will that we stand in faith and we do not let the problem, the issue, the hurt, the pain, whatever, outlast us. We have greater endurance than the problem. We have greater endurance than the demonic attacks. We have greater endurance than anything and everything because if God be for us, who could be against us? And if we're full of the Holy Spirit, then we know we have all things that pertain to this life and to godliness. He said, I've given it all of it to you. All of it. He said, believe it by faith and stand until you see the promise come to pass. Till you, till you overcome the problem and the issue that's attacking your life. God said, life's not, Jesus said, life's not going to be perfect. There's going to be some trouble. Now, you can avoid a lot of it by trusting God and walking in his wisdom, but you're not going to avoid all of it, he said. There's going to be trouble in this life, he, but he said, be of good cheer. What did he say? Be sad? Be down and out? Be confused? Wring your hands with worry and fear how you're going to make it? No, he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. We're on the winning team, church. Christians, we're on the winning team. We're not on the losing team. Satan and... Everybody who follows him is on the losing team. We're on the winning team. Now, go with me to, to, to Hebrews chapter 12. And he gives us 
Three things right here on how to grow in endurance and how to maintain our faith and our endurance while we're going through things and overcoming in this life. He says this in the passion. He says, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us in the sin. Everybody say the sin. We, we so easily fall into then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has been already marked out before us. God's already led the way. He's already there. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus in the supernatural realm who births faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. He says three things in that are so powerful. I'm going to read it in the New King James. He says this in the New King James. He says, therefore, we also, since we, have, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Here's the first thing you have to do to walk in endurance. You have to understand that he said we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. That's present tense. What is that therefore? That means what I just said in Hebrews 11 applies to this. And what did he do in Hebrews 11? He started talking about all the witnesses. Abraham, David, Esther, Ruth, uh, Moses, uh, Joshua. He started testifying. He started telling all of their testimonies. What does a witness do? They testify in court to what they know is true, what they believe is true. He said, we need to hang on to our witness. Man, I don't know when the last time you said, God, thank you for saving me from the life I was living in the direction I was going because I don't care what I go through in this one. It's better than anything I had. I talked, to, I talked to friends of mine that lived in the world like I did, drank and partied and did all kinds of crazy crap. And man, we talk now, it's like, golly, man, I can't even imagine what God saved me from. I know how miserable I was in that life and where it leads to alcoholism, drug addiction, and all the garbage that, that dogged my family's path for generations. Man, I can't imagine, though, I'd have been the worst husband. I was angry. All the time. I can't imagine how angry I'd be at 25 and my life was falling apart. I can't imagine how miserable I'd be without Jesus. The troubles that I experience now are nothing compared to what God has saved and rescued us from. We just need to be thankful and we need to be a witness. We need to testify. We need to read their testimonies. And we need to be constantly telling people when we get a chance, man, Jesus saved my life. He rescued me. He rescued me from a horrible life and gave me a life worth living and worth giving away. I'm so grateful for the wife I have, the children I have. I'm grateful for the home I have. I'm grateful for the church God's honored me to pastor. I'm grateful for you, my church family. I'm grateful for my mama and my mother-in-law who love the Lord and have been such an inspiration and great counsel in my life. I'm grateful for my family that's gotten saved. I'm grateful that my sister who passed away years ago is in heaven and not hell today. I'm grateful for my daddy, an atheist who got saved a few years before he passed away from Agent Orange poisoning from Vietnam. I'm so grateful that I'll get to see my dad in heaven instead of, instead of weeping over him being in hell. I'm so grateful. Guys, we need to be a witness to what God has already done. 
what he's already done and what he saved us from and what he saved us to. We need to be grateful for what he's already done. We need to be a constant witness. And then we're not done yet. He's playing, but I'm not done. So he says we need to be a witness and understand that he said these witnesses are still alive and still testifying. Abraham, Moses, they're still testifying. Number two, we're going to go through it quickly. He said lay aside every weight in the sin. The sin. Every weight is sin. What does a weight do when you're running a race? What does it do? Come on, does no one know? If I put 50 pounds on you and told you to run a marathon, what would, it, what would that 50 pounds do? Slow you down, weight you down, maybe even defeat you. He said, you got to put aside the, the weight of sin. you got to start getting that sin off of you. He's empowered you. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're free. God's a God of freedom. He said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's freedom. He sets you free from being a slave to sin. You don't have to be a slave to it anymore. You need to stand up and fight. You can't fight it without Jesus. So when you're still living in sin and you're a sinner, otherwise you're practicing sin, you can't fight it. You're a slave to it. It controls your life. But once you become a blood-bought child of the Most High God, He sets you free, and you can stand up and fight against it and get that weight off of you. You can get it off of you. When I used to CrossFit, they'd say, we're running today. And I'd say, okay, that's not bad. they say, yeah, but you got to put this 50-pound sack on the back of your neck. I'm like, that's bad. That's really bad. And every time you finish and you got to throw it off, he's like, oh, man. Why? God wants to get those weights off. In the sin, the, there's a, the sin is the sin of doubt and unbelief. God said they didn't enter into any of the promises, the children of Israel, because of doubt and unbelief. That's the sin. we got to get doubt out and unbelief out. How do you do that? First of all, you take captive those thoughts that say you're not going to make it. God's not going to come through. He doesn't love you. He doesn't, all, those, all those ugly thoughts that Satan tries to throw at you, he's not coming through. His promises aren't true. Look, they died. This didn't happen. That, they didn't answer that prayer. You've got to start taking those thoughts captive and say, in the name of Jesus, I cast those thoughts down. And then, and then we got to do the next thing. we got to focus Jesus focused on the promise of God and the reward of God, and it gave him great joy. It gave him great joy, focusing on the reward. So we got to cast down the, the doubt and unbelief, and we've got to refocus our minds and our hearts on the promises of God. Church family, I read this analogy. It's so good. You know, I can take a penny, and if I get it close enough to my eye, I can block out the sun. You could take a small problem, and if you focus on it, you can block out all the power of God. You got to get the problem out of your focus and focus on the power of Almighty God. You got to get that thing out of your focus that's blocking out the power. You got to cast those. And then I would say all day, I cast, I do it still to this day. I cast that thought down in Jesus' name. I cast that sinful thought. I cast that sin, of, that, 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 uh, that thought of doubt and unbelief that God's not coming through. I cast that down in the name of Jesus. God's faithful. I filled it back up. I focus on the promise. God is faithful. 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 I sing, we sing it. We talk about it. I speak it over. I speak the word of God over my family that by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. I don't, I keep focused on the promise and on the word and it gives me a joy because I know my God will come through for us. I know he'll come through. That's how you build and keep faith and endurance. That's how you get stronger. 
You testify constantly. You've got to be constantly telling your testimony and focusing on the testimonies of those that come before us. If Abraham can do it, you can do it. If Ruth can do it, you can do it. If Esther can do it, you can do it. If David can do it, you can do it. If Gideon can do it, you can do it. If Paul could do it, you can do it. If Mary could do it, you can do it. They're just regular people like us, except they focused on the promises of God instead of the problem. They didn't block out the sun with a penny. Focus, focus, focus. Trust God that he's good. Trust, I said trust God that he is good. Come on, church, some of you got it. Trust God that he is good. And all the time. It's what we say. That's what we believe. That keeps God big and the problem small. Instead of the problem big and God little. Amen. Let's live for him, church. Let's be a light to the dark world. Let's stand in faith and build our endurance. We'll finish this race strong. We'll break the tape of heaven. And they'll welcome us in. That, that cloud of witnesses will be cheering us on. Amen? Amen. Abraham will give us all high fives. I'm joking, but I'm not. I'm going to give you, if I beat you to heaven, I'm going to give you a high five when you make it. Do all kinds of handshakes. We'll do, do all kinds of, all the stuff they do now. Do some cool stuff. I'll be cool then in heaven. Listen, every eye closed here and online, God loves us. He died to rescue us, but he won't make you be rescued. So often people are like drowning in an ocean of sin and of unbelief and just life. And Jesus throws the life vest out and he offers that to you. And so many people push the life vest away and they drown They drown in misery and addictions and problems, trouble, heartache, and heartbreak. Jesus is, he's thrown the the donut thing out that wants to, he wants to save your life. He's got the rope. He's like, let me pull you in. Let me save you. You can push it away. It's your choice. Or you can grab a hold of it. Let him rescue you. Rescue me from what? From sins, sins and if you're not, if you don't know Jesus as the Lord, the boss, that means he's the master of your life. That means you've submitted your life to him and what he says is right is right. What he says is wrong is wrong. You've submitted to him that way. Then you're not, you're not rescued. You're not gonna be rescued. That's why the Bible says on the last days that many say, Lord, Lord, And Jesus said, I didn't know you. He says, I didn't know you as your Lord. I knew you, but not as your Lord. You never really submitted your life to me. And until you do, you'll be a slave to sin. You think you're controlling all those things in your life. They're controlling you. They're controlling you. You're not controlling them. Don't be deceived. But Jesus has set you free from that. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Does that mean I'll live perfect? No, but you won't be a slave to it. 
And another thing, you won't go to hell, you'll go to heaven. We're all going to die someday. I'm not saying that to be morbid or cruel or just the truth. And there's a heaven and a hell, and they're real. They're not fake. They're not a story. It's real. And Jesus died to save us from being slaves to sin in this life and living in misery here and died to save us from hell and so we could go to heaven and we could have a life worth living and giving away here. But he won't play second fiddle. He's either Lord or not. And it's your choice. I chose a long time ago to submit my whole life to him. What he says is right is right. What he says is wrong is wrong. What he says is wisdom is wisdom. What he says is foolishness is foolishness. I'm going to follow Jesus. I always run to him. Even when I blow it, I run to him. Not away from him. That's lordship. And if you've never prayed that and given your life to him, he's not going to make you, but he's offering it. He's offering to rescue you, to save you. And if today you think online or here like, Okay, I've never prayed and really submitted my life. I'm going to do that today. All of us in this room have done that. I did that in the church. My wife did that in the church. My family's done that at church. Most of the people in this room did it at church. This is the time to do it. Maybe, maybe you've known him and you've ran away. You've rebelled against God and you just need to come home. and Just come home. He'll welcome you. So whether it's your first time or your next time, you want to pray and get right with God right now. Online, send us a message. I'm getting right with God for the first time. I'm, getting, I'm coming home for the next time. Send us a message right now. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to pray. And right where you're seated and right where you're at online, we're going to pray. Here we go. On three, send the message. On three, lift your hand in this room. One, two, three, say, I'm going to get right with God. Put your hand up high and put it down quickly. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Two more over there, thank you. Praise God. This is the time to do it. This is the right time. Let's all pray now. Let's pray with these that have raised their hand and those online with us. Say this together. Say, God, come on, say it, church. God, I believe you are God and God alone. You said that you would rescue me, forgive me, of all my sins. If I would voluntarily give my life to you. You gave your life for me. Today, I give you my life. And I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that you, Jesus, are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I believe you died for my sins. That you rose on the third day. And you're alive. I believe it. And because I do, I receive your lordship. And I ask you, Father, to forgive me of all my sins. And now teach me by your spirit and by your word how to live this life and live this life to the full. Until I see you in heaven, thank you for rescuing me. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on.
Let's celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.